You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. Let me say that again because I want you to hear that, and we're going to spend our time this morning unpacking that statement. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. To say this another way, one of the things that brings great delight to the heart of Jesus Christ is for you to know and experience and enjoy a deep soul satisfaction in God that transcends your circumstance because it flows from an intimate relationship with him. So when we talk about joy, that's what we mean. It is a deep soul satisfaction in God that transcends your circumstance because it flows from an intimate fellowship with him. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, I get it from our passage this morning in John chapter 15. You can follow along in your copy of God's word as I begin reading verse 9 down through to verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. At the start of John chapter 15, Jesus tells us that he is the true vine. And for the rest of chapter 15, Jesus teaches us that any lasting fruit that will grow out of our lives is because of that connection that we maintain to the true vine, which again is Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus tells us in John 15 that one of the fruits that grows out of our lives as we stay connected to the vine is this joy. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. Now, as we work through these few verses together today, we're working on at least three important foundations, and I don't want to take anything at all for granted in our time together. I don't want to assume that we're all drinking from the same fountain here, so let me just clarify three things right off the top. Here's the first. Happiness is not always the same as joy. Happiness is not always the same as joy. Now, there's nothing wrong with happiness. I want to be happy, you want to be happy, we all want to be happy, don't worry, be happy. There's nothing wrong with happiness, but let's be clear. Jesus' greatest desire is not to put a BMW in your driveway. Jesus' greatest desire is not to give you the biggest and nicest house in your neighborhood. Again, nothing wrong with those things, but the kind of joy of which Jesus speaks in John 15 and that the Bible speaks of in so many other places as well is different than the surface emotion of happiness. See, here in John 15, Jesus is only hours away from the cross. He knows the weight that he will bear as he hangs on the cross for our sin, and it caused him great sorrow. And yet, the heart of Jesus in that moment for his disciples then and for us right now is that we would have his joy, and that in having his joy, that our joy would be full. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. 
So foundation number one, happiness is not always the same as joy. Second thing I want you to see, uh, you must be willing to fight for this kind of joy. You must be willing to fight for this kind of joy. At the end of John chapter 14, Jesus told us uh, not to let our hearts be troubled because he wants us to have his peace. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, John 14, Jesus says he wants us to have his peace. John 15, he says he wants us to have the fullness of his joy. When Jesus said that in John 14, he knew that there would be times in this life where our hearts would be troubled. And we've all provided ample evidence over the past 18 months, haven't we, that there are several times where our hearts are troubled. And now Jesus tells us that even when our hearts are troubled, first of all, we can abide in his love, but second of all, we can also have the fullness of his joy. But the thing is, if we're honest with each other, we would have to admit that we don't always have this kind of joy, or at the very least, we don't always feel like we have this kind of joy. And to be a joyless Christian is something of an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is when you put two words together that mean the opposites? Uh, for example, a jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron. Uh, military intelligence. It's an oxymoron. Uh, Microsoft works. Oxymoron. Okay? Listen, to be a joyless Christian is not only an oxymoron, but it is a dangerous way to live the Christian life. And one of the things that concerns me for myself, one of the things that concerns me, I would say, for the Big C Church as well, is that we become too content simply to pursue a happy Christian life, to pursue a comfortable Christian life, to pursue a safe Christian life instead of pursuing a joy-filled Christian life. Because here's the thing, happy is a surface thing. Comfort is a surface thing. Safe is a surface thing, but joy is a soul thing. And so if we really want this kind of joy, this real joy, then we must be willing to fight for it. See, joy will not look the same for everyone on the outside because joy is not, first of all, a surface thing. It's a soul thing that then shows up on the surface, which leads us then to this final foundation Joy is one of the most trustworthy thermometers of my spiritual temperature. I think here of, of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, um, up on the screen here. It, this, in my mind, this may be one of the most paradoxical things that Jesus maybe ever said in the New Testament. Listen to what he says. He says, blessed are you when people hate you. Now, we could stop right there, do a Bible study on that, and still not get to the end of it. Like, really, Jesus, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So notice what Jesus says here. He says, blessed are you, happy are you, blessing is yours when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil. Why? On account of the Son of Man. So because you have made the purposeful decision to follow after Jesus Christ in your life, because you have made the purposeful choice to give your life to Jesus Christ in everything that you do. Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil because of that relationship with Christ. So when your friends turn their backs on you, and when your family disowns you, when your boss stops giving you opportunities at work specifically because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus says, blessing is yours. Happy are you. And then Jesus takes it to another level completely. Notice what he says in verse 23. He says, rejoice in that day. 
It's like, seriously? Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in what day? Rejoice in the day when all of this stuff is happening. Rejoice in that day. And then Jesus says, and leap for joy. Like, does that make sense to anybody else? Right? That's a little bit crazy, right? Leap for joy. That doesn't make any sense at all to our human understanding, which is a great thing then that Jesus explains how it does make sense. Because notice what he says next. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. See, the only reason this makes sense, the only reason you can be happy, blessed, have joy when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, the only reason you can do that is because your reward is great in heaven. In other words, all the acceptance that you think you need, all the approval that you crave for, all the recognition that you want, that you think you need, it will not give you the joy that you are searching for. If you are looking for those things from this life, the only thing that will give you joy is Jesus Christ. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. See, what Jesus says in our passage here in John chapter 15 really hinges on verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus says, listen, I've told you these things going back to the start of chapter 15. I've told you these things going back into chapter 14, probably even back into chapter 13 as well. He says, I've told you these things. Now he gets to verse 11, so that a certain kind of joy would be the end result in your life. And so the question that we need to be asking ourselves now is, how exactly do we get that kind of joy? How do we get the joy that Jesus talks about here? And Jesus makes it abundantly clear where this kind of joy comes from, how we get the fullness of his joy in our life. And so our outline this morning is super simple. You can see it in your Bible just for yourself. But here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Jesus' joy will be my joy when I abide in Jesus' love. When I abide in Jesus' love. Let's go back to verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I don't want us to move too quickly past that statement because what Jesus says there in verse 9 is absolutely profound. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I want you to notice first that Jesus makes a comparison. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me. So that's the comparison. As the Father has loved me. Notice here that there is simply no other way for Jesus to illustrate the kind of love that he has for us. He does not say, as a husband loves his wife. He does not say, as a parent loves their child. He does not say, as a person loves their best friend. He doesn't say that. Because in some way, all of those comparisons fall short because sometimes our love for each other is tainted by sin. The only way Jesus could adequately communicate his love for us is to say, as my heavenly Father has loved me. Now, when you think about that, that is an absolutely awesome statement. As my heavenly Father has loved me. And it's an awesome statement when you remember that when it comes to that relationship between God the Father and God the Son, there is no sin in that relationship. 
There's no brokenness in that relationship, no frustration, no disappointment, no unmet expectations, much like there are in the relationships that we sometimes have with each other. When it comes to that relationship between God the Father and God the Son, it's just perfect love all the time, all the time, perfect love every single time. Which leads then to the commitment. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's the commitment that Jesus is making. He is saying to you right here, right now, my commitment to you is this, I will always and forever love you like my Father has loved me. And just remember, in that relationship, no sin, no brokenness, no disappointment, no frustration, no unmet expectations, just perfect love all the time, all the time, perfect love every single time. Pastor Nathan Penny explained it to me like this. Maybe you've heard Nathan say this here before. Part of what Jesus says here in John 15 verse nine is that God loves you like God loves God. That is awesome. God loves you like God loves God. Jesus is saying here, listen, I want you to have the confidence that just like there is no doubt that my Father loves me, so there is no doubt that I love you. And I wonder if there is somebody here right now, somebody watching online who needs to hear that today. Just like there's no doubt that the Father loves the Son, so there is no doubt that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much, like all the approval, again, that you're looking for, all the satisfaction, all the fulfillment, all the desires that are unmet that you're trying, to, you're trying to fill in your life. Like if you're looking for those things from the world, friend, you're not gonna find it. Jesus loves you. And, and especially in those times when we're looking to fill those desires, when we're looking for that approval, that recognition, that acceptance, whatever it is, especially in those times it can be tempting for us to think that Jesus just doesn't care because he's not giving us what we think we need. And that's not the case. Jesus says here, just like there is no doubt that my father loves me, so there is no doubt that I love you. Which leads us then straight into the call. So there's the comparison, the commitment, and then the call. Jesus says at the end of verse nine, abide in my love. Jesus tells us to abide in his love three times in our verses, 10 times in chapter 15, he tells us to abide, abide in him and he in us, to abide in the vine for his words to abide in us. But, but he says here in verse nine, he says, abide in my love. Remain in my love, stay, dwell, live in my love. Never stop living in the love that I have for you. you know, it, it's interesting to me as I read this verse that Jesus could have ended this statement in about a thousand different ways. He could have said anything. He could have said, abide in my power. And we all would have been okay with that. I mean, we need the power of Jesus in our life, right? He could have said, abide in my wisdom. And I think we would have been okay with that too because we need wisdom for this life. He could have said, Abide in my purity, abide in my holiness, abide in my righteousness, abide in my faithfulness. He could have said any of those things and we would have been okay with those things. Those things would have been perfect. But here he says, abide in my love. Because on some level, Jesus knows that if we are going to experience the kind of joy of which he speaks in chapter 15, it's going to come from grabbing a hold of the reality that you are loved with a love that can never be taken from you. And that's what we want most, right? 
Like there is no deeper hunger in the human soul than to be loved and to know that we are loved and to know that we are loved unconditionally. This, this one verse here in John 15 verse 9, this one verse has been an absolute game changer for me personally just over the past year or so. Um, this has been like a lifeline from the Lord for me. Last summer, I, I took a leave of absence from my role in our church because I was struggling in so many different ways. I was disappointed with circumstances. I was disappointed with people. I felt like I was disappointing people just about all the time. I felt like my world was caving in just all around me, even though if you were to ask me, I probably would have told you that it wasn't. There were times when I would just break down and cry and I had no idea why and that just frustrated me all the more because I didn't understand it and and when God finally brought me to the breaking point, and I will stand before you right now and testify, friends, that it is an act of God's grace that he brought me to a breaking point. But when he brought me to that point, I reached out to the elders in our church and I just asked for help because I didn't really know what else to do. So we already had an elders meeting that was scheduled for the very next night. And, and I remember going to that meeting. We sat around a table on the patio of one of our elders in his backyard and it was a beautiful summer night and for the next hour or so with as much grace as God gave me for the moment, I just let it all out. Just told them what I was thinking, told them what I was feeling, told them anything that I could think of that was helpful at that time and, and almost everything that I told them that night I don't think was new information to them because they had been walking with me through this, praying with me, praying for me, I'm so thankful to the Lord for godly men who serve as elders in our church. And, but they had been patiently listening to me. And, but I think as we sat around that table that night on the back patio, I think we all understood that what was going on inside of me at that time was too big for them to help me figure out. It's too big for me to figure out. I didn't even know what was going on. And, and I remember I, I left that meeting a little bit sooner than everybody else. And, and I remember walking from the patio back to my car and just thinking, I have no idea what comes next. Like, I didn't know if that was the end of the line for me. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. Barely even knew what to pray. All I could think to pray on that walk from the patio to my car was, Lord, please help me. Like, I didn't even know what to ask God to do. Just, Lord, please help me. Several things came out of that meeting that night. Two things, uh, particularly that I see as a definitive act of God's grace in my life. The first is that um, I was able to talk to my doctor about what was going on. We talked through uh, a lot of those things. And then the second thing, this was, this was just the hand of God. Um, I was able to get into biblical counseling almost right away. And, and it wasn't until last summer as I was just kind of working through all of this when God taught me this all over again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. It wasn't until last summer that God taught me all over again that no matter what happens around me, no matter what happens through me, even no matter what happens to me, that I am loved by a God who will never turn his back on me. And friends, I, I just want you to be encouraged this morning that the same is absolutely true for you. You are loved by God. Jesus loves you so much. 
And so understand, when Jesus says here in verse 9, abide in my love, that's not just a command. That's not Jesus just coming to us and, and in a cold, hard way and just saying, listen, man, if you really want joy in your life, then abide in my love. Come on, let's do this. If you want this kind of joy, no. Abide in my love is not just a command. It's an invitation. This is Jesus calling out to you right now, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much it feels like it's changing you, no matter how heavy the weight feels upon you, whether it's that thing that you can't stop thinking of, that thing that you think of, it's the last thing in your mind as you close your eyes and put your head on the pillow. It's the first thing that you think of when you wake up in the morning, that thing that's taking all of your time and your energy, it's just consuming you. Even in that, Jesus Christ is inviting you. He is welcoming you, even right now, to rest in the reality that God loves you like God loves God. And that is awesome. Man, Jesus loves you so much that he lived the life for you that you could not live. A perfect, sinless life. He loves you so much that he died the death that you should have died for your sin. He died a substitutionary death in your place and for your sins. He loves you so much that he rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death forever for your justification so that all who would believe in him will be made right with God and will have access to God and can be in the presence of God both now and forevermore. Listen, loved ones, this is the Jesus who loves you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. This Jesus loves you. And friends, this, understand, this is where joy begins. Your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. Here's the second way that Jesus gives us his joy. Jesus' joy will be my joy when I walk in Jesus' ways. When I walk in Jesus' ways. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus' joy will be my joy when I walk in Jesus' ways, when I keep Jesus' commandments. Notice here that love comes first and then obedience. Jesus just told us in verse 9, abide in my love. Now in verse 10, he says that one of the ways that we abide in his love is by walking in his ways. And sometimes we get this backwards, don't we? And we think to ourselves, man, if I can just do more for God, if I can just check in at church every, a little more frequently, if I can just serve in that ministry, put more money in the offering, if I can just go on that mission strip or help my neighbor, if I can just do this, do that, do the other thing, then maybe that'll be enough for me to earn God's love for me. And friends, I want you to hear that is not the message of the Bible and that is not the hope of the gospel. Jesus is saying here, if you really want joy, if you want true joy, the kind of joy that your heart truly craves, if you want lasting joy, then Jesus says it begins by loving me with everything that you are, with everything that you have, heart, soul, strength, and mind, love me. And out of the overflow of that love then, live this life in the way that it's been designed to live. Jesus says here, follow me. Follow my example. I have kept my father's commandments and I know the fullness of his love for me and I want the same thing for you. Man, what an amazing savior that he would tell us that. Man, is that not a word for our culture today? So many people searching for joy. So many people searching for hope, for peace, for life. Friends, the exclusion of God from our culture 
has not led us to the recreation of the paradise that we're so hungry for. It's not leading us to the joy that we crave. Rejecting God's design for marriage and the family, it's not working. It's not giving us the joy that we all want. Rejecting God's design for sexuality and for gender identity, it's not working. It's not giving us the joy that we crave. Rejecting God's design for race and for the care and protection of the vulnerable among so many other things, it's not working. It's not giving us the joy that we crave. The adoration of self and what I want and who I am and who I want to be, even sometimes to the exclusion of all common sense, it's not working. It's not giving us the joy that we're so hungry for. The glorification of money and power and status and greed and comfort, it's not working. The worship of immorality and idolatry and selfishness and arrogance, it's not working. Listen, in our own country, the tolerance of tolerance, it's not working. It's not giving us the joy that we're so hungry for. Listen, the progressive gagging of God in our society is not setting us up for some kind of ecstasy where we exalt ourselves as the savior of our own collective good. It's just not working. Instead, it's sending us straight into the kind of chaos and confusion and pain that the Bible talks about when we don't walk in the ways of Jesus. And so when we come to this passage in John 15, this is like a gentle and gracious megaphone from our Savior himself, and he is calling out to us, hey, hey, listen, I know that you're hungry. And I know that you're thirsty. I know you want joy. I know you want life. I know you want hope and peace. I know you want significance and meaning for this life. Jesus says, I know that. But if you want joy, if you want real joy, if you want lasting joy in this life, then you can have it. But it begins by loving me with heart, soul, strength, and mind. Loving me with everything that you have. And then by walking in my ways out of an overflow of that love. You know, you can make a really strong case, I think, that some of the most miserable people on the planet are not unbelievers. But instead, some of the most miserable people on the planet are believers who are trying to live with one hand in the kingdom of God and one hand in the kingdom of the world. Trying to live 90% for, uh, 90% for Jesus and 10% for self. And, and every single time, that 10% always finds a way to leak into the 90%. And that right there could very well be the number one stealer of our joy. See, when Jesus talks about joy here, he doesn't say, if you'll just follow the ways of the world, then you will abide in my love. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if, if you will just take your cues about how to live your life based on what you see on the news, then you'll abide in my love. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you will order your life around what you see on social media, then you will abide in my love. My love. My love. He doesn't say that. And sometimes we have this tendency just to, to sit here and hear that and take that in and think to ourselves, well, duh, of course Jesus doesn't say that. We know he doesn't say that theoretically, but practically, we don't always live our life like that. And so listen, in his grace... This is an act of mercy from Jesus here in this passage. He comes and he resets the entire conversation and brings his joy back to two simple things, love and obedience. He says, if you will keep my commandments, 
then you will abide in my love because I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This kind of joy starts with believing that God loves us perfectly and extravagantly. And the challenge is that if we cannot affirm that Jesus loves us like that, then it's gonna be a lot harder for us to say no to the things of the world because one of the ways that we say no to sin is by saying yes to a greater joy. See, friends, this is where joy is found. Jesus' joy will be my joy when I walk in Jesus' ways. Final point, number three. Jesus' joy will be my joy when I listen to Jesus' voice. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you. These things I have spoken to you. And so the question for us then becomes, are we listening? Are we listening to the voice of Jesus? Are we listening to what Jesus is saying? You know, in a day of social media, in a day of unparalleled entitlement, the church has become no stranger to this. Even with the human rights that we have been blessed with in this country to speak and have our voice be heard, rights for which we are very grateful to the Lord, even with all of that, there is an ever-increasing need for spirit-filled discernment among God's people to know when we need to be quiet and listen for the only voice that matters. It is a move of the Spirit of God to have the kind of sensitivity to know that God is speaking into your circumstance, that God is speaking into our culture, that God is speaking into this global moment right now and to listen for the Lord, to listen quietly, to wait quietly for him to speak and as we listen for him, to trust that he will show us then how and when to speak to the issues of our day and to act accordingly in a spirit of courage and compassion. Because, I mean, just take a look at this passage alone and see what's at stake here. Jesus is not simply giving us joy. He is giving us his joy. His joy is what is at stake in this passage. The only way to have a full kind of joy is to have the Jesus kind of joy. If you're looking for approval from your friends, if you're looking for acceptance from certain people, if, if you're hoping to find fulfillment in your job or in your possessions or in your comfort or your safety or your accomplishments or your reputation or whatever it is, you're not gonna find the joy there. The only way to have the fullness of joy of which Jesus speaks is to have the kind of joy that only Jesus can give. And so at this point, I had to pause and ask a question, well, what exactly is the joy of Jesus? I mean, if Jesus wants to give me his joy and satisfy me with that, if Jesus wants to give you his joy and satisfy you with that, then what exactly is the joy of Jesus? And there are several places that we could go in the Bible uh, to tell us this, but one of the most powerful, I think, is Psalm 16. Acts chapter 2 tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 16, and Psalm 16 just gives us this small window into the nature of the joy of Jesus. Psalm 16, verse 8, take a look at this. Psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad 
and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Down to verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. Here it is. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is teaching us that the only kind of joy that will truly satisfy us will come from a life that pursues God. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And Jesus says, listen, I want you to have that kind of joy. I want you to have my joy because when you have the joy of Jesus, that's when your joy will be full. That's when your joy will be complete. It's a little bit like when you put water into a bucket and you fill the bucket all the way to the top with the water to the point where that bucket cannot possibly hold a single drop more of water. And that's the commitment that Jesus is making to you and to me right here. He wants to fill you up all the way with his joy, not just any joy. He wants to give you his joy to the point where you cannot possibly hold a single drop more of his joy. And the way that we receive that joy is to drop the bucket of our soul into the ocean of God's presence. This is why Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. These things I have said to you. In other words, everything that Jesus has said here in John 15, everything that Jesus has given us in his word, listen, this right here, this is our roadmap to joy. This is our way to joy. If we live life the way that Jesus designed for it to be lived, then there will be an endless supply of joy that awaits for us no matter what circumstance we go through. This is the way that the joy of Jesus gets into you and this is the way that your joy will be full no matter what you may be going through right now. George Mueller was an evangelist and he directed several orphanages across England that cared for over 10,000 children. And for everything that God had given Mueller to do over his life, he learned early on how to fight for lasting joy. He once said this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how the inner life might be nourished. Mueller was well known for the time that he devoted to being in the Bible and in prayer and then for the man of faith and joy that he would become. Friends, real joy, lasting joy, true joy, the joy that only Jesus can give comes from abiding in Jesus' love and walking in Jesus' ways, and listening to Jesus' voice. Real joy comes from a soul that is happy in the Lord because your greatest joy is one of Jesus' greatest pleasures. Let's pray. So Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for its truth. We thank you for this joy that is ours now, even in Christ. Father, would you help us, I pray, by the power of your spirit to live by these truths for the glory of your name. That when the circumstances around us feel like they're caving in, 
when the problems around us seem so big and so overwhelming. Lord, that you would give us grace in those moments to reorient our vision away from earthly circumstances as the priority and to give priority to our heavenly home where our reward awaits. And one day we will see our Savior face to face. He will wipe away every tear. He will make all things right. And we will be in his presence forever. God, I pray, give us that perspective even now. For the sake of your name, for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.